We're on Hollywood Boulevard. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hello. 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 And happy Halloween week. Or weekend, depending on when you are listening to this. So, oh, I think it's time for my Practical Magic rewatch. Oh, I mean, yeah, TikTok, TikTok. I know. Even though I had one fairly recently, must always do another. Um, so, hey, we've got stuff. We do. We've stayed in and watched things. We've gone out and seen things. We have stuff. I know you went out. I didn't go anywhere. I did. I you did went out. out. I know. Again, doing it for um, all of you. So, hey, what do you want to start with? Um, I want to start with what I stayed in and watched. Okay, because I'm dying to know about this. I know nothing about it except good things. Um, so I saw, Uh-oh. so I saw Dune, <laughs> and we watched it on HBO Max, um, which was part of the Warner deal back in like deep into the height of the pandemic. Um, and I had at one point tried to read it because it was a book for a book club that I was in, but I never read it. And I have vague memories of being really young and seeing part of the David Lynch version of the movie from the early eighties. Um, Who but was in that one? Kyle I feel McLaughlin. Like I seen it. Kyle yeah, and Sting among other people. It was Sting. Yeah. I, I feel like I maybe saw that in the eighties. Yeah. But yeah. forgot it completely. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, and it's not, I think, considered successful in any way i think it's considered both a bomb and kind of like a critical and and loyalist failure um but anyway so all of that is to say i went in as basically a blank slate for for the movie karen it's fine there's just fine well here's my my one true problem with it it is they do that thing that they've started doing with like these big spectacle adaptations. It's only part of the book. Oh yeah. I've heard people complain about this. So it is the beginning of a hero's journey, but it has no beginning, middle and end on its own. It is mostly just all prologue. Yeah. I heard that it basically like the way it ends is like, it's like intermission. It's like a dead stop and you're kind of left going, wait, is that the end of the movie? Yeah. But intermission suggests that you at least had like a middle before the credits began. This movie is really all beginning and exposition and it, and it has an enormous budget and it shows, but not in ways that are particularly impressive. They're, they're, they're fine. Like, okay, the set is elaborate and the costumes are elaborate and the cinematography captures a lot of sand. I mean, like, everyone (laughs) earned their money and I don't want to denigrate them. Well, okay, I have a question. So, okay, with a book like, um, okay, like a book like The Hobbit, for example, Mm -hmm. that was turned into a three-part movie. Yeah, which I couldn't with by the way really you couldn't i enjoyed it i only I saw the love first it as one as much as lord of the rings but i think lord of the rings was already like three different books right like all the yeah stories, lord of the rings is they? three books yes yeah each, each movie adapted its own complete book right but the hobbit was one where they broke it up and i never felt that way about the hobbit i felt like i was getting a full story with each movie. I mean, of course, you don't know the source material. I don't know the source material. I don't know that Dune is 
lends itself to that adaptation. So, uh, you know, that way of, of adaptation. So I don't know, maybe they would have been better off making a seven hour movie and sort of like doing, but I honestly don't think, I honestly don't think they needed to do that because this movie is like two and a half hours plus. And I feel that like the first 90 minutes could have been condensed into about 20 or 25. It's so a, it, they the movie, could have done like a three and a half hour takes movie. Takes its the whole time, thing. but it's uh, but it's not um, economical in its storytelling. Like it doesn't okay. have to take that much time. A lot of people are raving about this as like the best thing ever. Do you think it's because they are in love with the source material? Yeah, I think it's the same thing as when we talk about Marvel fanatics who have no actual awareness of of things outside of their fanship. That's kind of what I think it is. Now because I'm not, and I'm not trying to say that I think the work of doing is bad. <laughs> I know, but it's just this adaptation doesn't stand up on its own unless no, like you love the source material. There's no there there. I don't know like a better way to describe it. Like if you come in wanting to fall in love with it, then you will find every single thing to fall in love with. But if you want to look at it objectively. And sort of apolitically, then you're just like, all right, then it was a diverting two and a half hours of of watching, you know, like the beginning of an epic. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for giving me the beginning of an epic. (laughs) And here's the other thing. There's nothing surprising in these 150 minutes of plot. However little Mm. plot I think there is. Every single one of those things is me knowing what's going to happen and waiting to happen and happening without any sort of surprise or revelation or character moment or anything. And again, perhaps when Frank Herbert wrote the book and envisioned the universe 60 odd years ago, those things were newer to him and to audiences. I'm not saying anything to take it away from that, but we've seen this journey now time and time again and it wasn't giving me anything new so all these people that seem to be losing their minds i really feel like just like the sound of themselves liking something on twitter you know it's really funny because uh the director dennis villeneuve villeneuve um i have yet to see a movie of his that i like i didn't realize this so i'm gonna ask did you see arrival I did not. I saw Sicario and okay. and I saw a bit like Blade and I Runner saw a bit of Blade 20, Runner and I was like, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. And I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh. I did not see Arrival. I don't think I love any of those movies, and I think this is going to sound this is going to sound wrong, but they're to me directors' movies. Like he has a vision and he has a style, and you see it employed but you're consciously aware of the director's fingerprints and maneuvering throughout the whole movie. Mm. Now, and so I think well, he did prisoners. That works. I th- well, yeah, I think like if you have a Paul Thomas Anderson it or works. like, or Wes Anderson, yeah, right. Like, yeah, like, yeah for some directors, it, it absolutely works and you, they have a style and they have a sensibility. And when you watch their movie, you know, it's their movie. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it can be grating. Yeah. And I don't even know that I think it's grating. It's just, I'm aware of it. I can't ever just be taken in by the world of the movie and the story that is developing because like I, I see the hand guiding me. Uh, Right. My feeling has always been, 
if the best the best directors are the ones that you don't see of course of course um, and, and for writers too the best writers are the ones where you're not aware of them and the, the choices they're making as they put the yeah. story together yeah which i know some people will argue because they want that auteur right they want like they like yeah but there know? are plenty of auteurs out there you know like the auteurist theory is that is not that like you become the star it's that we see things through your eye but we think they're our eye as as we're watching it so but I, even what I, I feel it but that's i also want to say like i don't i want to be fair to wes anderson because i actually really do enjoy his movies but i don't feel like it's a heavy hand oh no it's not like he has a very clear style his yeah. movies all look like they come from the like the same sort of vision, but they have their own stories to tell. They are they are part of a unique universe, but each one is typically unique unto itself and tells its own complete story. Yeah, and I, I mean, mean Rushmore part, to this day remains one of my favorite. Yeah, movies. and Rushmore is not the same thing as Grand Budapest Hotel or Moonrise Kingdom or Royal Tenenbaums. They have mm-hmm. the same kind of like droll playfulness, but but also give you different worlds and to right. a degree like Villeneuve's movies are very different Sicario's different from Prisoners and is different from Arrival and those movies have, have stories that take you in different places and I think each of those stories benefits from very very good performances um, and Blade Runner is the one that to me starts to feel maybe a little hollow but um the thing with with Dune is, and there there is a fine cast. I don't know that any of them in this case is directed to be particularly deep or convincing. Um, and maybe it's just because the material hasn't gotten to the point where they can display any of that yet. Um, but you can do a lot in two and a half hours, and I just think this movie didn't do any of it. Right. And I don't, I don't know, because I haven't. Well, I don't speak to anyone really. I talk to you, and I talk to my fiance, and I talk to people <laughs> at work. So I don't really have many opportunities to talk to real people I value in the world um, who have seen this and would have an opinion about this. So the only thing that I've seen that Alyssa has seen are like people who are anticipating this movie for months and months in advance online, and then they saw it and it you know, was a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're like, I know this movie is going to blow my mind and now I see it and my mind is blown. And I'm like, okay, but you're not giving me anything to support this in an objective sense. So I get that your dreams came true with this movie and (laughs) I didn't have a bad experience. It wasn't painful to me. And I root for every movie I see to succeed. Otherwise, what's the point? But I'm just like, there's no there there. And if there had been if it had been part of a larger story that came from the book, but itself had rising action and some sort of climax where all of the pieces came together and then some sort of denouement, I would say, okay, satisfied, looking forward to the next part of this journey. But you basically get to the point where Joseph Campbell's definition of the journey has just barely begun. And I like that it's not a complete movie. You know, they broke up the last Hunger Games book into two movies. And that one had a fairly complete story that started upping the ante, ended on a cliffhanger, and then and then built from that for the second one. I think something right. similar happened for that final Harry Potter that they broke into two. Right. 
Um, right. And this, I just think, was um, I don't think it did it appropriately. Okay. I don't know. I don't know that you could maybe do all of Dune in less than three, three and a half hours. Though I kind of think you could. Um, but I think it deserves a. Com- I think it needed to be a complete movie. So yes, the effects are great. The cast kind of is neither here nor there because they're not given an opportunity to be. Um, but Zendaya, I love Zendaya. Just well, saying. I'm going to spoil it. She's not in this much. Ew. Because she was part of the reason why I was like, well, Zendaya. Well, she's the one. Her face is all over the place. Yeah. But um, no, it's a lot of Timothy Chalamet. It's a lot of his family. Um, and And she more or less kind of bookends the movie, but her character will be more prominent whenever there is a next one. Okay. All right. Well, what did you like? Um, Well, I had a good time. I went and saw another Broadway show called Chicken and Biscuits, um, which was fun. Kind of an odd... I mean, in a sense, it is... um, like not necessarily a ready for the great white way show. Um, It's fairly, it's, it's a fairly simple story. That's messy. That like really needed uh, another draft or seven. Um, But it's about uh, a black family that gathers at the funeral of the grandfather. I guess you would say the patriarch set at the church on the day of uh, the funeral, the father is now the new minister. He has taken over for the deceased grandfather. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's his wife's um, father who has died. Uh, the wife has a son and daughter, and she also has an estranged sister. The sister has a daughter. That's essentially our cast. Um, so it is a show about black church. It's about family secrets. Um, the, the character of the son also is gay and he's, he's not closeted, but I don't think he has a lot of conversations with his family about his personal life, but he brings his boyfriend with him who is white. And later we find out who Mm -hmm. is Jewish, uh, to the, um, to the funeral. Uh, and that, that character is played by Michael Urie. Um, so those are like the two Norm Lewis and Michael Urie are best known for in the world of theater, though they've done some significant TV work. Um, but those are like the two quote unquote names, uh, of the actors in, in the cast. Um, it, the show press materials say it's a 90 minute show. It actually runs a little over two hours, no intermission. Yeah. There was a lot of moaning about that, which, what I will say in its favor is the show is so well paced. It doesn't need an intermission. Oh, that's great. But there is a logical plot break that it could have had one that, that comes a little late, Mm -hmm. but, but you could have split the show in, in two acts. Um, you know, it's fine, but it's, it sets up all of these conflicts. Like what will happen with the gay brother and his boyfriend and will his parents come to terms? Um, the the matriarch and her sister you know it's a question of how will they come to terms and what is the secret that one of them knows and how will that play out there's a lot of like Chekhov's gunning throughout the entire show and none of those fire any bullets like there's Mm -hmm. a lot there is sort of resolution but 
For a show that's set at Black Church, there is no come to Jesus moment among any of the storylines. Um, so I think like this show could have been finessed more from a dramaturgical standpoint. But I did enjoy it. I had a great time. The cast is very good. Um, and, um, it, you know, it's probably of, what have I seen, five shows since returning to theater? Three shows on Broadway? Right. It's probably been the most enjoyable one that I've seen so far. Uh, So, you know, good for, I imagine this is a show that'll be done all over the place uh, in time. And so, so good on them. You know, it's at the circle in the square theater, um, which is a smaller theater and almost in the round. It's like a three quarter type of theater, which means the audience is basically like in a horseshoe and a lot of audience members face each other. Um, so you can always, you know, you're always going to be missing something happening on stage because someone's back will be to you. Someone will be holding something you can't see. But it also means that, like, you can always see something that someone else cannot. So there's also pluses and minuses to that part of the experience, I suppose. Um, at any rate, I enjoy it. And I'm sure it is hemorrhaging money. Um, yeah. How is the how is attendance? Uh, I mean like 30 40 percent probably oh man um so i bet you can get tickets i bet you can get discount tickets um it would be nice to see uh this run continue as long as yeah. it can but i mean we're not talking about a long time um what, dana i just saw uh, a couple yeah. shows are closing like dana h which got wonderful reviews yes and, and i saw that and it was excellent I, yeah, I, I didn't see it on Broadway. I saw it off two years off ago. Broadway, yeah. yeah. There were that, like that, that they just, the producers are just like, can't do it. Yeah. You know, it's been open. a, it's been a tricky thing as, as New York theater has reopened. People have wanted a lot of things that traditionally haven't been able to make it to Broadway because they can't bring in the money and raise the money. So people have been trying to bring these shows to like the new Broadway, but People still aren't coming. People still aren't buying tickets. They still can't pay these bills. So these shows are having short runs. Um, yeah. Or runs cut short, I guess I should yeah. say, um, which is sad. But but I will say I would have never seen – if I had seen Chicken and Biscuits off-Broadway, it was playing at the Queens Theater, and then mm-hmm. very abruptly its run ended by the pandemic. Um, it's not a show I would have ever seen and said this belongs on Broadway. Um, but having gone to see it and knowing it's currently got a home in a Broadway theater, I encourage people to go and see it. Right. All right. So I guess I liked it better than Dune. You liked it better than Dune. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the pull quote. Better than Dune. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I want to just sort of talk a little bit about, um, 80s rom-coms. Like maybe in I don't even think, I don't think you even realized as you said this that this is my jam like this is my area i love love, love the romantic comedies but like specifically of the 80s. from the 80s yeah and i know that a lot of people talk about like the rom-coms quote-unquote moment right being like the late 90s i guess like the bridget jones and yeah Jennifer i was gonna Aniston say was yeah. doing, and matthew mcconaughey yeah. was sort of like you know the king of and and we also had some cute ones back then that i'm trying to sort of see if i can find like the truth about cats and dogs was one i think of yeah. the undersung uh rom-coms of that era There's, um but while you were sleeping 
while you were sleeping. I love that one. Any any rom com with Sandy Bullock, I'm fucking there. I loved. I like more than Meg Ryan, right? Like she was really it for me. Um, but but there is just something about the rom coms of the '80s. Um, so I um, and I love that HBO Max has that um Turner that TCM. Oh yeah, uh, recommended right. because there are some good ones in there right now, including the one that I rewatched um, over the weekend, "Romancing the Stone." It's so great. That what movie a fabulous is so movie! Perfect. Yeah, what a fabulous movie! Um, I love the way it opens. Yeah, it's really smart. It is it's so really smart. well written. Um, so it's about for those who don't know, who the fuck doesn't know this movie? Um, Kathleen Turner plays romance author Jane Wilder, very, very famous romance author, a very, um, famous romance author, author Jane, Jane Wilder. And when they open the movie, it's not the actual movie. It's actually a scene from a romance book that she's writing. So it's like, we're in her head while she's writing this scene. Yeah, It's this real big adventurous thing going on. It's like a wild west. Yeah. You know, and like a gunslinger comes and tries to like steal something from her and she ends up killing him. And and then she goes off and meets uh, Jesse, her Western cowboy love or whatever. And it's all so over the top and perfect, um, especially since, you know, it's a romance book. And then you sort of like they embrace at the end for their kiss and their happily ever after. And, you know, camera cuts to you know, present day well 1982 or whatever new york and and kathleen turner is like sobbing at her typewriter and her jammies yeah yeah and it's just perfect right down to like the messy new york apartment where there's no toilet paper no tissues no you know um and 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 a cat to um oh who plays her is it Holland Taylor? Her publisher is Holland Taylor. Yeah, and then she and then she like ends up going off on this grand adventure in Colombia where she has to rescue her sister who has been um, kidnapped and held for ransom because the sister's husband, who was just murdered, um, had a map that led to a, tr- a buried treasure, yeah. essentially a buried treasure. And so she ends up kind of like, it's the, definitely a fish out of water story. Um, you know, she is that sort of like the romance writer that could never find love or adventure in her own life. Um, all of a sudden is going on this adventure and meets the dashing Jack Colton, who is sort of a, I don't know. I don't know what he is exactly. He's a hunter or something, right? I don't know. I, he's like he's like a wild man, but yeah, like he's in the jungles of Colombia collecting birds because he's making that's how he makes money. He sells these like exotic birds, I guess, and because um, he's going to buy a sailboat and sail the world. So he's an adventurer. Like that's that's like I guess like what what his job would be, right? Yeah. Um, and and they end up you know sort of falling in love through this whole like wild time where she's trying to find this treasure and save her sister and there are alligators and it is just glorious it yeah is absolutely and, glorious. and it's one of those movies that sort of has everything you know it's got comedy it's got suspense it's sexy it's romantic it's got action like it really like has something for everyone yeah and i think sort of along those lines and i've been watching these uh, so many of these um uh, 
so uh, Married to the Mob is another uh, one that I that's re-watched. right. And I'd seen that they have it on HBO Max. We should watch yes, it. go watch it again. Which I absolutely love. I, I um, love again, that another another good one with Michelle Pfeiffer and and well, um, that's uh, and Matthew Modine. Yeah, Matthew Modine. Who that's m- yeah. that's my favorite director. That's Jonathan Demme, who never yeah. did anything head on. He took every genre and did something off kilter about it, which I think made it special. Yeah. But along the same lines, there's also um, I uh, something wild, which was Melanie Griffith. Yeah. Was that also on HBO Max? Um, I think it was, yes. Uh, with Jeff Daniels and With Melanie. Jeff Daniels, yeah. yeah. That's a great And movie. that was another one where it was, and I think that Melanie Griffith was never really given a sort of credit as one of the leading rom-com ladies right because she did working girl and around this time as well which was a phenomenal movie sure is and i did she get did she get an oscar for that she was nominated she was nominated and won a globe yeah and um and oh god um what else did she do was there another one she didn't do a ton like in terms of romantic comedies she didn't really do a ton you know she also then did stuff like body double Right. And like oh, some of the darker the Cherry Two Thousand, yeah. she did Milk Money in the '90s with Ed Harris, which I love. I feel like I saw that and don't remember it, but anyway, yeah, love her. Um, and I guess, and also I saw what was on HBO that um I will be watching is Desperately Seeking Susan, that movie's which great. I think uh, when it came out got kind of lost with the fact that Madonna was in it. Yeah. And and I think that her she overshadowed Rosanna Arquette, who the movie was really about. Absolutely. Like I remember going to the theater and completely expecting to see, um, to see like Madonna, to make a Madonna as movie. the lead. Like yeah. it was going to be a Madonna movie, and she was just kind of a little bit of a sidekick. She wasn't in it that much, and it was Rosanna Arquette, and it was. And I think that that was also a disservice because it actually, I think, a lot of people. Um, dismiss the movie because they thought it was a Madonna movie, and yeah. um, and they ended up missing something that was really pretty wonderful. Um, in yeah, terms I agree. Of- I mean, I I would love to go back and and revisit that at some point because it's such a specific moment in time that I love, but it's also a really good movie. It's an excellent movie. You know, Susan Seidelman, who directed it, had made great movies and had a great sort of indie vision. It's so good. And the yeah. cast is so good. I mean, obviously, Laurie Metcalf has a small part in it. It does not get any better. But, um, you know, like Aidan Quinn is great in it. It's so many. It's so many good actors, quite frankly. And the absolutely wonderful Anna Thompson. Who yeah. I adore from. Um, She's an Unforgiven from- Tracy Ullman show. And she was in that movie that I had to that I had to go down the rabbit hole to find because oh, I forgot who she was. Drama? Yeah, Angela, the uh, Rebecca Miller's uh, film um, about uh, how a, a woman with uh, who had a mental illness and the two sisters, and it was just this absolutely beautiful independent film. One of the best things, like it, it haunts me. Like I can't stop thinking about it. It's that good. Is that anywhere that we can watch it? No, and it is ridiculously expensive to try and buy it. Yeah, because I would love to watch it, rewatch it. Because I just, it is just one of those movies that stick to you, like just sticks in your head, you know. Right. I, um, yeah, I have to check it out. 
Yeah. So yeah, desperately see it. So there. What other? What am I missing? What were some of the other rom coms that I'm missing? Um. So from the eighties. Yeah. There's. There's like the top tier, for me, which is Tootsie, Moonstruck, mm. Working Girl, and When Harry Met Sally. You know what I think is really kind of interesting about these, maybe with the exception of When Harry Met Sally, because I feel like that was moving into like the 90s rom-coms and like that sort of Nora Ephron mm-hmm. moment, right? They're rom-coms, but not, they're not vapid. I think rom-coms no, in that, the 90s. That happened over time. There was a degeneration. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are not vapid movies. These movies, you know, I feel like when you say rom-com, people do conjure this sort of the image of like Kate Hudson yes. giggling. Yeah. 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 And these were not those movies like, like Tootsie was actually yeah. pretty dramatic. Yeah. But that's right. the thing. It There's is a, a big balance. These movies have yeah. as much drama as they do comedy. Um, but I was going to also, th- there's a couple like next tier recommendations that I have. Okay. Um, Bull Durham, which is absolutely a romantic comedy as much as it is a baseball movie uh, with Susan Sarandon and Kevin Costner. I don't know if you ever saw it. I actually never did. Um, it might be on Criterion, which doesn't mean it's any easier for you to access, okay. but it could be on Hulu. Um, and Crossing Delancey, which is another mm. New York film. Yes. Uh, Amy Irving, Peter Riegert, really, really good. Um, I haven't seen that in years. And this will lead me into the next point that I wanted to make, and then we can say goodnight, Gracie. A movie called Murphy's Romance with Sally Field and James Garner. I do not know this one. So it's from, I think, 85. It's definitely mid-80s, just after she won that You Like Me, You Really Like Me Oscar. And she is a recently divorced mom. In fact, Corey Haim plays her son. Um, she moves to, uh, like rural Arizona, real, like small town to try and start a new life for the two of them. And James Garner is the local, like pharmacist he runs like a, he's like a druggist slash, like, like the old school drugstore that had like the bar where you could have, you know, like the, the soda jerk. The soda jerk. Yeah. Oh, Anna Thompson's in this one too. Well, I was just, just saying. Gonna say, I was just gonna say, yeah. <laughs> and um, so yes, and she's also in it. Um, Brian Kerwin, who's a great Chicago-based actor. Um, yeah, and it's and so James Garner is like, like everyone's kind of like father figure in town. Um, and he becomes like a good friend to Sally Field, but obviously there's something more. And it's it's so sweet, and the chemistry between them is so great, and it's so like natural and realistic. Um, and now kind of about a way of life that doesn't even exist because mm. these towns don't exist, and movies like this don't exist anymore. Um, right. It really does. It really does is like a relic in a lot of ways, but I really, I loved it. I think he was nominated for it. I think it was his one nomination. Yeah. He got an Oscar nomination. Yeah. And he's, I mean, they're all, they're all really good in it. But I think the thing that made a lot of these movies work is, um, so 
in the seventies, like mid seventies, early eighties, you started having all of these dramas about like broken homes and divorces and starting over. Right. Like, Kramer had, versus like, yeah, Kramer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like ordinary people and an unmarried woman and Kramer versus Kramer. And then you finally started seeing like the comedies trickling through about, well, what is it like to like be divorced and start over? What is it like to have a big breakup and be alone and date as an adult? something like that like these were kind of like the first generation of those movies so it they weren't like insipid comedies about like dating and does he like me and does she like me or does she know that this like secret like Cyrano is me it was it was very relatable and it was kind of the first time we were seeing these movies which is largely about like smart independent people finding love in a real world way not a fairy tale way and not like the old hollywood way where it was like very chaste and then at the end it was like and they lived happily ever after it's 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 all sort of different like for people who are aware of the way the world worked i mean i guess the only i i would say the only film that doesn't quite fit into that would be overboard but that's such a fun Over film. Course, I don't even care. I guess care. a little sillier, but it's fun. Yeah, but who cares? Because it's so much fun. You, you know what another one of my favorites is? Which? Roxanne. Having mentioned Cyrano, <gasps> Steve Martin oh, and Daryl yeah. Hannah. That movie is genius. Like that movie yeah, that is movie truly, because he is brilliant. That movie is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, so there, some more recommendations. Like they don't. And yeah. that's the, that's to me the tragedy. You know, I say what I say about like the Marvel people. And uh, do you remember when, Scorsese got in trouble for saying how like we don't have anything but like Marvel movies mm-hmm. anymore. But it's true. Like the the idea of like the independent movie, the domestic movie of like just people having relationships and conversations yeah. and sitting around doesn't exist. That's gone. It doesn't just, exist. I feel like we talked we about simply that. We don't have like, them. I'm sure I've said it before. I think I think I feel like we've talked about this before. It feels like the end of independent cinema at the moment. There doesn't seem to be any independent films coming out, uh, maybe apart from documentaries that are, you know, like, uh, you know, the Sex Lies and Videotape or, yeah, you know, the Wes yeah, Andersons yeah. or, you know, the filmmakers that are doing, like, are we ever going to have another Blair Witch Project? I don't know. I feel like there's nothing that exciting coming. Like, you know, all the exciting stuff seems to be happening on TV, on premium TV, right? That's exactly where the focus is. Yeah. That's where yeah. the, that's where the depth and the range are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's really kind of disappointing. Like I never, like I, I miss, I miss those really great independent films and I miss the sort of like these movies that like this, that you just want to curl up on your couch and watch over and over and over again. That's the I know, thing. Like, that, there are so few movies now I, that come out that I, I could watch over again. If I wasn't raised on those, I don't think I'd even be interested in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like, cause those yeah. like late seventies through the eighties to the mid nineties is what I feasted on when I was a sponge. So if those weren't around, I don't know that that would have become my path because yeah. there was, there was so much meaty, entertaining stuff to gravitate to, yeah. and then it got me. I don't know otherwise that I that I would have. Mm-hmm. Because, but you know, like you can have a movie about any subject matter, but make it rich. And now mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have that. Yeah, we're not doing that. Well, but there we are. We so for you, recommendations. Oh yes, before we go, should we even 
Nah, maybe we'll save it for next week. I feel like it's too raw. Okay. I mean, I hate not being newsy, but I don't oh, know if I, don't I know. want to get into that. Well, I thought yet. you were going to ask about succession. So maybe we can touch down on that again in a couple of weeks and maybe Alyssa can join that one. Yeah. Um, no, I was going to talk about the Alec Baldwin thing, the Alec Baldwin incident on Rust and that tragedy, really. Yeah. I I don't know. If I, I don't know I, what I don't know, the, I I don't do know what there tonight. is to say. Yeah, there really is. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation at any time, but. But my thing is, you know, it is, it's just a tragedy for everyone, for all that should have never happened. Yeah. That should have never happened. You know, it was an avoidable tragedy and that's what's super frustrating. Anyway, we'll just leave it at that. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So I can't think of any better way to prep you guys for Halloween more than uh, having just talked to you about romantic comedies. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so spooky. <laughs> By the way, I didn't ask, how's your, how's your search for the Halloween films going? Um, I think oddly satisfying. Uh, okay, we have, we have found enough, um, like, not all supernatural, but like thriller type movies of like older and newer, mostly thanks to TCM that I feel like, okay. I feel like we're good. We did watch Poltergeist together uh, over the weekend. And um, we have a couple like older ones that are saved in our DVR, uh, a couple Betty Davis ones, um, couple alfred hitchcock ones so i feel satisfied and i feel like as long as i get one more pumpkin spice latte and maybe a pumpkin donut um i'll consider this year a success for halloween cool excellent i have yet to have any pumpkin spice anything no that's a lie i have pumpkin spice chocolate um but i have yet to have um an apple cider donut which is like really what i'm jonesing for and I always, and every, every, every year since moving back to New England, I've been like, I, this is, this is the season. I'm going to go get that apple cider donut fresh from the apple orchard, you know, and I have yet to do it. And so I think that do needs it. to be my, I know, I think that do needs it. to be my quest Guys, this guys, find her and pressure her online. Yes. This please. is the one time I will encourage online shaming. Yeah, um, press, press me to see this. I think Alyssa, so Alyssa bakes every Friday. We watch the new Bake Off episode and and then Alyssa um, tries out a new recipe from a book that we got. And I think this week's recipe involves chocolate and pumpkin. So I'll probably have to share some photos. Yes, please. So, yes, so guys, please. please follow us and then keep checking uh, back on the block pod on Facebook. Yeah, I'm going to go to bed. All right. Well, there we go. Enjoy some rom-coms in your future. I will. All right. You guys, take care. Stay safe. Happy Halloween. See you next week back on the boulevard.